Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Jay Scott, and it is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for listening and stopping by. Always appreciate when you do. Please don't forget to write us a review at the end of the episode. We always do appreciate it. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great network of music-related podcasts, the official network for Metallica's podcast. So check that out, too, as well when you get a chance. And also all the diverse music-related podcasts on Pantheon Podcast. You can find them on all social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Pantheon Pods, as well as PantheonPodcast.com. And you can find The Hook Rocks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search up The Hook Rocks. We've uh, we've had some amazing episodes recently, so don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone and you get to enjoy all the previous ones, too, as well. We welcome blues guitarist Joanne Shaw-Taylor, we had Tracy Guns talking Eddie Van Halen on the anniversary of his passing. That was an amazing conversation. We also talked with Brett Emmons of Glorious Sons. We've talked to so many other artists over the last few months. We celebrated our four-year anniversary with Nita Strauss and our 500th episode with Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick and uh, many others as well. So please tune in. And uh, one of the other episodes we did was the quarterly album review, Top 10 Rankings. And... The guest I have on is in a band that was on that top 10 list for the last quarter. An amazing album by an amazing band. The band is The Dust Coda, and the album is Local Paradise. Fantastic album. These This band is on a run with some great music over the last handful of years. I'd like to welcome the lead singer, John Drake. What's happening, man? How are you? Hi, man. I'm good. I'm really, really good. Like I said, man, an amazing album. I thank you. Could not stop listening to it. It just was just mind blowing, especially after the great album you released a couple years ago. To follow it up with an either equal and in some cases even better album, it's just absolutely amazing. What's what do you what are you guys eating out there? Uh, music wise or food wise. Well, it's whatever's making your music great. That's what. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know, man. Like, I think, I think, um, what kind of propelled this album was we just, we didn't try and second guess what anyone would be thinking, what anyone would be expecting. We just thought, let's have zero fucks. Can I swear? Am I allowed to swear or not? Absolutely. Go right ahead. So we just had zero fucks. You know, we were like, who gives a fuck what people are expecting? Who gives a shit about popularity? Who gives a shit about charts? Who gives about anything like that? Let's just make some, let's make another album that we're excited about and a collection of songs that fucking turn us on. And that's all we thought about. And that's why, you know, I think the album's come out the way it has for many, and there's many other reasons, production and stuff. But yeah, that was kind of the genesis of it was just like, let's just make another record that makes us happy first. You know, coming out of Mojo Skyline, which was another fantastic album that you did a couple of years ago into this, you guys set the bar high for yourselves because that was an amazing record too, as well. Was there, you know, along with that, philosophy that point of view of just going out and making good music was there any pressure felt to match what you guys did previously um i think i think there's pressure to create for me i felt some pressure to make sure i created the the vocals at a certain level that was set on the previous album um and i think there's pressure to make sure the album sounded like 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 us, but it was also very well produced and, and needed to be as slick as the last record. Not necessarily as slick, but have the same quality as production because we used to sep- we used a different producer for this record. And so that comes with a whole different territory of, you know, sonic experimentation and whatnot. And the two, you know, the two, the, the guy, Clint Murphy, who we used for album one and two. He's got a very different kind of methodology and approach to say Charlie Russell, who we use. They've both got equally good vibes in the way they approach things, but they're different, you know. Clint is very um he's a lot slicker and he's a lot lot more super, super, super focused on super tight takes and, and getting every every detail sorted. Whereas Charlie's uh he was more a lot more about the fucking hang and the swing and the vibe and and doesn't it doesn't you know it's it's like it's not one or the other it's not like you know clint didn't give a shit about the vibe and all that stuff or charlie's slack on that stuff it's just that there's just a different ebb and flow with say charlie and and the way we made this record was different we were all in the same studio together for a whole 11 12 days and it was all just like watching each other track and sitting around it's a bit more of a party you know on loco whereas previously with uh mojo you know some of us would be traveling into the studio for a day or two with clint our producer and tracking down our parts and then fucking off again whereas loco was just like 14 hours a day man we're we're living in this great studio called chapel studios in, in the uk and we'd wake up in the morning and they'd be catering there and you'd walk out and be lovely ladies making us breakfast. And then we'd walk straight in the studio and we'd hit it for 14 hours. And then we'd come out at like fucking two in the morning or three in the morning and then be, we'd hit the pool table <laughs> and we'd drink a case of beer to kind of come down off the day. So I had more of a hang. Did that kind of sense of freedom on this album, you know, kind of allow you to explore a little bit more things that maybe you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, for sure, like, just just messing about a bit. Like, the thing with us is, you know, 95% of the work's done in pre-production because we we're, we're a live rock and roll band, so we go and play our instruments and we track our pre-production live. And so it's just the finishing touches. So when you've done all your homework, you whack your takes down. When that's done, then there's room to just piss about, you know. So we did just have more time to just kind of just throw stuff at the wall and be like, you know what, let's just mess about with this or let's, you know, why don't we all get in the studio and let's just shake tambourines and shout at the microphone for one song as backing vocals or just – and we did that. You know, we did that on the last day of the song Rock and Roll Paradise. 
Um, Jim, I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but like yeah. there's, there's, you know, I just got the boys in the studio and we're all, I'm shaking a tambourine. We're all just going, Hey, yo, Hey, yo, all of us just shouting into this like big room as big room mics. And it's just capturing us all shouting this, this chant shit like that, which just gives this real kind of, um, roomy vibe to some of the tracks. What else I, I notice about this record too is just I, like you said, there there's a different vibe on this album. I really think that there was a lot of different elements, like "Free All the Dancers" for for you know, for instance, which is a great track. You know, is, yeah. Um, you know, every song feels like like they're all connected, right? Because it's the album, it's the band, it's you guys. But every song kind of takes on a life of its own. Yeah, I mean, dancers is um, that's that's a special one for us. You know, there's something about that track. Just I, I can't I can't put my finger on it, but we really, you know, we really crafted the fuck out of that. We worked on the feels and the tempos and the transitions, and especially that outro. I'm, I'm we're, you know, I'm we're so proud of that outro. That's like our our Layla or our like locomotive. You know what I mean? You know, you know the great outro from Locomotive. Yeah, yeah. You know? And same with Layla. That's that's this is our kind of Layla. You know what I mean? And where you know when and we've been we've been in the studio this week because we're about to go on the road. And um, when we're rehearsing that, and we just when we get in the pocket and we just all look at each other going, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is cool. This is grooving. This is going to be fun live." You know. What's amazing about that part that you speak about is it, there's there's so much beauty in it, right? I mean, mm. it, it really is. I mean, it's a it, it really is, in my opinion, kind of like the the definition of the album, you know, because the album is 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 a different vibe than Mojo Skyline, and mm. that encapsulates everything in that song, and what I felt from it was different than what I felt from other dust Coda songs. I remember I was on yeah. a, I was on a walk and I was listening to the album for the first time and that song came on and I'm walking and I completely lost where I was while the Layla of dust Coda was playing. <laughs> like I, I, I got out of it. I'm like, wow, how long have I been walking and not really paying attention to my walk? It was so transforming. It was incredible. Uh, that's that's I mean that is a massive compliment because and a lot of people have been saying that to us about that song. It's we really we worked very hard on that. You know, we didn't contrive it, but we worked really hard on getting that feel and getting that vibe. Because after you, you know, because it's like this fucking crazy utop dystopian kind of song that just goes in so many places and it just comes down into this like valley of just ethereal calm and we just had to we had to really really get ourselves very disciplined and in, in, in capturing this little moment and it's all about us working together and just making sure we were like in sync musically and we didn't go we didn't push things too hard because if you listen to it it's very subtle right Everything there is just kind of floating around. And, I mean, we rehearsed the fuck out of that to get that feel. And, I'm, you know, I'm really proud of it I'm because it gives me goosebumps when I hear it. I'm like, yeah, we captured something there, man. It was so unexpected, or it is so unexpected, too, because the album is, just, is, the album is driving the whole time, right? I mean, it's just got mm. this momentum to it that is unique in itself. And then, like you said, it, it – it creates almost like this completely different avenue for Dust Coda, completely unexpected, completely. I was, like I said, I was walking and I snapped out of it after the song was over. I'm like, oh man, how long? Like I wasn't even paying attention to my walk. Like someone could have came and tackled me and I wouldn't even <laughs> know what was going on. It was such, and I go back to that when I was reviewing the albums for, for the, uh, for the quarter. And I went back and I listened to the album 
and I went back and I listened to that. I'm like, man, this is just there's there's beauty in it. There's just something about this song that has elevated you guys into like another level. I mean, for you coming from Mojo Skyline, listening the album up until then, it was unexpected and it was so like it's like a treasure. It's like a it's like a yeah. treasure that you don't expect on an album. Cool, man. I'm, well, that's that's kind of that's how we feel about it, you know. That's probably my favorite track off the album, I think. And that's why I wanted to do the, this interview. I just wanted to tell you how great that song was for the next 45 <laughs> minutes because it's absolutely unbelievable. Fucking thank you. Thank you. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah, we're so proud of it. And also when, when, when Adam showed me, you know, he brought, he, it was kind of, it was his baby to start with, off with. He showed me this, this arrangement. And obviously it had some twists and turns once I got involved, but it was it it was kind of there from the beginning. And he sat me down one day and he just said, Right, here's the riff. And then it goes into this. And then it goes to this. But then we mean this middle bit. And I'm like, okay. And he's something jaggedy that I do a solo over, because I've written a solo, but I don't know what's gonna be under it. And I was like, what about we go full fucking chili peppers? And he's like, yeah. And we just, we fucked about just him and I for ages, just getting the concept of this thing together. And, and then he was like, you know, at the end, it all comes down. We'll have to have some big grandiose thing. And then it's got to come down to this part at the end with these three chords. And I was like, this guy's fucking crazy. I think I get what he means. And then we eventually started working it and working. I was like, ah, this is going to be like an epic fucking journey, man. Yeah. And that, and the great thing is once we'd, once we'd kind of, um, done pre-production for it and went to the studio and recorded the track live, just the four of us, the fun part was going back and going like, right, what am I going to put on top of it? You know, what harmonies and guitar melodies I'm going to, put on top and how are we going to embellish this wonderful thing at the end it was very good there's a great time actually letting that that whole thing just kind of um digest and gestate is that the word just and let the song grow it was was once we had that arrangement it was very yeah it was a cool time you talked about the process for that was there obviously was a sense of excitement but was there a sense of maybe be intimidated by what you were guys were doing. Cause you've never done anything like that before. I mean, you have to have, there has to, every time there's something great that's created, there has to be a push and pull of excitement and like, it creates that tension. Right. And mm. there for this song. Uh, there was at the beginning. Cause we're like, how the fuck are we going to do this? Like we knew the concept when you have, but how are we going to make the band sound like, great doing this and there was this element of like are we just is this just stupid is this just a fucking stupid song is it is it are people just gonna laugh at this that's what you know that's that was what i'd feel sometimes and i'd be like no this is awesome this is great we just gotta we just gotta hone it and craft it and once we got tony and scott in the rhythm section and st- once we started getting the grooves right i was like ah okay this is going to be great. There's a bit of doubt. You go back and forth and you go, ah, right. When, once the band's cooking and you can see the light, you're like, no, 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 no. This is going to work. This is going to work. Everyone else might think it's shit, but we're going to love it. <laughs> well, there's, there's a difference between a great song and there's a difference between that and a song that moves you, that takes you to another place. Yeah, this does that. I mean, I I spoke about the walk that I was on where I completely lost track of time. And every time I hear it, I just feel something different when I hear that song. And there's a lot of songs that I think are great, but there's probably a handful of songs that move you in a way like that. And Mm. yeah, that is an amazing feat by 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 you guys. That was just incredible. Thanks, man. Thank you. Now that the album's done and you guys are back to out playing live, you guys always play a lot of shows. You guys are a, a, a 
a road dog, as they say here in the States, in terms of playing live. What's it like to play the music that you create on this album? And where do you fit it in your set after coming off such a great album, too, as well, that people really liked? Uh, well, we've only actually played one show for this record because we're about to go on tour next week. But that one show was a pretty awesome show because we were supporting Guns N' Roses in Hyde Park in London. And that was a pretty special moment, <laughs> you know, like, uh, cause we were like these, you know, we, we'd never played, um, uh, loco songs to anyone except for one gig at three o'clock in the morning in Spain when we were supporting White Snake and the Scorpions. And we thought we'd throw road, road to hell in this about a year ago, but, but you know, we, we hadn't done any of that. So it was pretty cool to start off the whole loco paradise campaign by opening for guns and roses. That was pretty mad. And we're excited, you know, we're excited to bring these songs. I can't, I can't wait. Our first show is next, uh, next Tuesday night. We're on the road for a couple of weeks in, in the UK. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be exciting, man. Just cause I know, you know, a lot of people in England have been really, very excited about the album. You know, a lot of our fans are being very passionate about it, so I can't wait to see their faces in the audience getting into shit, you know? It's scary, though, because their songs are these songs are hard to play, man. They're hard to get right live, so we've had to work our asses off in rehearsal just to get it where we think we can pull it off live, you know? Did you guys know that when you were recording it, that this was going to be a challenge live? We didn't think about it. You know, we just went, fuck it. We're making this album. We want it to sound cool. We want it to be amazing. We'll, we'll figure all that shit out later, you know? Um, yeah, we, I, I never think about how it's going to come across live. I just think about, is it a good record? If it is, let's make it and let's finish it. Then we'll figure out the live shit later. You talked about the last album, obviously recorded during the pandemic and it was different. You had to record remotely. This is, you were all back together as a band. Mm. What was that like? Because you guys did that process, you know, with Mojo Skyline. Now you're here with local paradise. You're back. You're, you're recording together. What, which do you prefer? Do you prefer the remote recording? Do you prefer being in a room together? Oh, uh, being in a room together, dude, like you can't beat it. Because it's just you're all like you know you you just all hanging together and it's a lot of laughs and there's ideas being thrown around and everyone gets to kind of hang and watch each other record stuff and and you know and it turns into a little bit of a party you know at times which is fun you know well some of my greatest experiences from this record is just when you when you're done for the day you know we I think we finished recording Road to Hell at two in the morning or something, we cracked open a bottle of Jameson's and hit the pool table, which was in the, in the accommodation, which is part of the studio we're recording. And then next thing you know, it's 5am and, you know, we're playing pool, drinking whiskey, thinking, this is great. This is great. Listening to rock and roll and going, you know what? I can't wait to get up in the morning and hit the fucking studio to do this again. As tiring as it is, I love it. Aside from the production differences that you spoke about with each different producer, do you hear that in the two albums that you've done? Do you hear the remoteness in Mojo Skyline? Skyline? Do you hear the 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 vibe and the and the camaraderie in in Local Paradise? Um. Yeah, I think it's a bit looser. There's a bit, there is a bit, it's a bit more Exile on Main Street, this one. I can hear it. You know, interestingly, Mojo, Mojo was actually recorded before the pandemic, but was recorded at separate stages. So technically it wasn't made in the pandemic. We just got signed during the pandemic for the album. Mm. But, um, but, I, but the thing is, it was very, it was a very different approach. You know, Scott went and did his drums on his own for a week. I went and did my vocals, half of them on my own. So it was almost like we, you know, were in the pandemic. Um, 
But with this record, yeah, I can hear it. I can just hear the swing and the vibe and just the – it's really hard to explain. It's on that record. All of us are there. Like at the end of um, the end of Dancers, I think you can hear this studio noise of us fucking about. If you know, if you listen to the digital versions on the vinyl version, they've cut it out because it has to be cut to make the vinyl. But yeah, as far as creating for this album and, and creating that vibe, what were some of the differences on this too? As well, I mean, obviously you went in and did your pre-production, but what was your approach to writing that may have been different prior to this? Well. Well, okay, so a lot of this record was written in the pandemic. So the writing was written in the pandemic. Um, the writing was written. The songs were written in the pandemic. So I, there was a lot of isolation there. And I think the isolation of the pandemic and the, you know, the angst of it and all the, you know, everyone tearing each other apart and, and you know, everyone, you know, at war with each other on social media, um kind of in the pandemic and you know just basically everyone's locked up everyone's just following the news for their information and everyone's kind of got their opinions but they can't really express them because they're just at home so everyone's just kind of turned to social media and it's all fucking crazy and that kind of um that affected me a lot in my writing you know that isolation that frustration that you know it was a very, it was a very hard time. Very prolific, you know. The streets is one song that um, was really very much a, a, a product of of COVID. That song. I did notice that with this album, there was a little bit more perspective and mm. observation on, you know, on on social commentary. Not not as much as as, as preaching, but more. Yeah what you were seeing and yeah look i don't like to be too political um and i don't i don't like to be divisive uh i have an opinion about things but i i don't like to 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 drive drive a line between people um because i don't think it's helpful and i think music is something that should connect people not drive people apart but you know, some of the lyrics, my frustrations around that time did come out, you know. They did come out about the way I think the world was going, the way I think especially the governments handled certain things and the, more importantly the way the media just handled things and just kind of pitted people against each other. It really got to me. It reminded me a lot of Miles Kennedy approach. Okay, you know, cool. With his solo album and how he writes with Alter Bridge, you he gives his perspective about what he's seeing and what he's feeling without over politicizing and turning the song into a Rage Against the Machine song. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I always appreciate that because it's not I'm I, I always step back whenever I feel like someone's telling me how to think. But I do yeah. appreciate when someone is telling me how they think and, how, and yeah. what they see. And there's a difference. And I, and I appreciate that, that balance that a, a writer can find when they're, when they're choosing the subject matter of a song. I like that. And that's, that is kind of the, 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 the camp that I sit in, you know, I don't like to preach anything to anyone, but I, you know, but when you're a songwriter, you're going to, Tell how you feel sometimes, and see what tell take give your perspective on what you see. When you were singing these songs in the studio and, and recording these songs, and knowing that they were recorded during the pandemic, which is like a different time, it's like a completely different, whole different scene, and like it was, we were on a different planet for a couple years. How was it for you? Was there a challenge to remain connected to that stuff? Because the world had moved on from it. Um, I think it's just in the song. You know, it, I, I, I didn't think about it. The song's written. The melodies are there. The melodies are, and the lyrics are, uh, you know, indicative of that time. I was just singing the songs the way I 
always do and I wasn't thinking about it and the songs do the talking you know and I'm just the vessel for it so I just sing it and it just the song already has its story if you know what I mean I've been asking this question more frequently of songwriters you have a subject you want to write and you have material that you're or an observation or an experience you want to write about and there's a lot to say about it right you have a lot to say mm. And how do you filter that and make it concise to fit into a three to five minute song? Well, the thing is, it doesn't happen like that for me. I will come up with like a a melody or a guitar riff and then a phrase. And that phrase will start working its way through a song and then lyrics will start coming. And then I'll start realizing what the song's about. And then I go, oh, okay, this is what I think the song's about. And then I start refining down and going, okay, this is what I'm really trying to say. And a big example of that was Come the Night, which is, uh, you know, my kind of, it's my dedication to, to Taylor Hawkins and all the fans of him around the world and all the people who didn't know him personally, but knew him so well through his music, through his interviews, through his whole, you know, persona, you know, come the night was like that. We were doing pre-production on the song and I hadn't written the lyrics yet. yet. And we're, we're, I was about to go and cut the vocals for pre-production. And unfortunately, you know, he, he had died, he died the week before. And I, everyone I knew in the music community was just in fucking shock. We we're like, what? Come on. No, no, really? And then I started writing these lyrics, trying to get the lyrics to fit for the song Come the Night. And then it just became really apparent to me that this song was about Taylor Hawkins. And the lyrics just kind of kept on, kept on manifesting themselves in that way in the song. And then I was just like, that's, this is what the song's about. This is what it's about. Um, I dug deep on that one and I was a bit hesitant at first. I was a bit like, oh, does it just feel like a cheap shot as in trying to get, you know, trying to appeal relevant. Then I was like, no, fuck that. I'm really passionate about this. You know, I'm really passionate about how sad it is that this rock and roll hero who everyone just thought was just so filled with life and who filled the world with so much light would pass before his time. And, you know, yeah, so I just, I just went, fuck it. This is, this is the truth. This is how I feel. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Um, yeah. When you're writing, does the melody drive the song for you? Does that come first all the time? And then you find the lyrics that fit the melody or does it matter what the lyrics are you just found a, a melody to to place your thoughts into uh it's always the melody for me a melody might come with a phrase like i might sing a phrase that has a melody attached to it but it's 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 got to be the melody it's got to be you know it's got to work melodically and, and have a hook and and be inspiring you know how do you come up with melodies do you is it just a constant playing or you just hear it in your head or what what do you what's your process with that it's different every time you know like usually i just because i'm just playing i'm just fucking about all the time and i just i have my phone with me and it's got thousands and thousands and thousands of voice recordings on that and i just i every day i'll pick up the guitar most of the time I'll pick up the guitar and I'll just start playing and I'll fuck about. And most of the time I just press record regardless of what I'm doing and I just fuck about. And then something might pick, prick my ears and I'll just keep working through it. And then I'll be like, Oh, that's interesting. And then I'll just kind of once I, and then I'll go down a path with it. It's like once you get a little, it's like songwriting to me. Do you know the movie Ghostbusters? Yeah. Like the original one, what, yeah. not, not not the one with like the chicks in it, but like the original come on, one. Come on, John, I'm almost fifty. Of course, I know that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, gosh, gosh. So, do you know when like do you know how they had those those um those those the Ghostbuster machines, right? Yeah. And they put them on the floor, right? And they and that's the capturing of the ghost, right? Right. Songwriting for me is like being a fucking Ghostbuster, right? You've got your gun. And there's a small glimmer of a fucking ghost up there in the sky and you and you hold on to it and you and you bring it fucking down into the box and you whoa bang. That's songwriting for me. You'll be fucking around and then something will appear in the fucking cosmos in your antennas and you'll be like, ah, oh, you'll you get a like a, a, a glimpse of it and then you just kind of start feeding into that ghost and you start feeding it and eventually it just becomes zapped in the box and when it's zapped in the box is when you feel like you've got a verse and a chorus and a you're like i gotcha i got this this is a song now and then you can figure out all the lyrics in the middle eight or whatever the fuck else you're going to do with it but that's yeah songwriting is like being a ghostbuster that is the greatest analogy i've ever heard about songwriting to be honest with you fantastic (laughs) that is awesome did you study melody like, you know, when you're coming up and you're writing music and you're trying to figure it out? Did you make a conscious effort to listen to songs and figure out how they put the melody together, how they you know, how they sang over melodies, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I when I was 19, 20, I was obsessed with trying to be a songwriter because I was a terrible songwriter. I was terrible. I just couldn't do it. I just. It was like this mystery to me, and I just used to be so frustrated. I'd just be like, I'd be hanging out with friends, and people would be like, let's go out, and I'd be like, no, I'm going home. I want to go home and write songs. And I'd sit there by myself, and I'd be like trying to fucking write songs, and then eventually something clicked, and I learned this. I somehow realized that you have to differentiate the chords from a melody and the melodies are these thousands, these millions of things flying out there. 
that can come on top of a set of chords. And once I kind of got that concept, I then I then went in this, yeah, I went on this journey of I studied everything. Like I, I still do. I, You know, I, I listen to everything. You know, I'm a fucking huge Bob Dylan fan, a Leonard Cohen fan, a Billy Joel fan, a Fleetwood Mac fan, or I'm a Sepultura Pantera fan, or I listen to absolutely everything. I'm a huge David Bowie fan. Like, uh, I listen to everything. I mean, there's shit that I hate, which is most pop music these days, but I, I, I listen to so much melody. And the thing about melody is you can't really tell whether – there's no formula for deciding what a good melody is. It either fucking works or it doesn't, you know? You could have a riff that sounds a bit kind of – dull or a bit generic you might tweak one note of that and suddenly it's got a life of its own and that's like melody it's like you'll be singing something you feel you've got something there and then something will change and you bring it back into that ghostbuster box and be like ah so i've, I've been you know i've been obsessed with melody since i was very young just because it's never ending is your writing style, does it matter where you are? Can you write, do you have to have a specific time, like you're going to write music today, or is it just something that flows and can come at any time? Anytime. Anytime, any place. You know, I don't I don't think about it. It's just, I just, I, I just do it. You know, sometimes you have good days, sometimes you have bad days, you know. You'll be playing something, you'll be like, this is a bit shit, oh well. I used to get hung up on that, you know. Oh, God, I haven't written a good song in a while. Now I just don't think about it. I'm just like, they're all out there. The songs are all out there. You just got to know how to grab it. What was the experience opening up for Guns N' Roses? What was that like? Oh, it's fucking mental. So cool. 65,000 people, Hyde Park, London. I mean... I mean, historic, a historic gig, right? You know, Hyde Park. That's just like as steeped in music history as it is, going back to, all the way back to the the Brian Jones tribute that the Stones did in Hyde Park in the sixties. Uh, you know, we have this thing. I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's called British Summertime in Hyde Park. Mm-hmm. Every summer, they have a host of bands that play Hyde Park. So you know, Bruce Springsteen will come and play it. Guns will play it. Pearl Jam will play it. Like all the big dogs. And we got asked to be on the Guns N' Roses bill with The Darkness, um, with Larkin Poe, um, Chrissy Hind, um, so the Pretenders. So, you know, we're all, we're all there kind of with that gang. And, um, it was mega, you know, uh, it was kind of like coming to Mecca. <laughs> you know, it, it was like, fuck, man. You know, because being a kid growing up in Australia, like, I dreamed of, like, supporting Guns N' Roses, you know. And then then to go and do it was pretty cool. One of the highlights of my musical life, I would say. Yeah, I would say. I mean, mean, considering what you guys have done over the last few years and, you know, the struggles that a young band has that we all know about, we've all talked about. To get an opportunity like that, that is that is a that is a huge accomplishment in itself. I mean, playing the show is a huge accomplishment, but getting the opportunity to do that is you know, without words. Yeah, it was huge. Um and just an amazing buzz. Cause also you knew you were playing to people that love rock and roll. You know, when you play to Guns N' Roses fans, it's like <laughs> Couldn't be better. It was magic, man. Magic. And we played really well. We rocked hard. Plus really cool. Yeah, with the other bands on the on the bill. I mean Chrissy Hine and and Larkin Poe and the Darkness. I mean that and those bands in itself too, playing with those bands is pretty special. I mean, Justin Hawkins is an amazing singer. Um Yeah. Yeah, he's, 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 I mean, I didn't get to meet, he was, he's, their dressing room was quite close to ours in the complex. And, but you know, it's, it, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him because everyone's kind of 
things kind of get people get pretty segregated and they've got their press schedule and you know you know everyone's busy kind of thing but um yeah it was cool just to be in that be in that set kind of being like all right we're 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 hang you know we're in that we're kind of getting into that league now which is fucking cool you know or we're we're the we're you know at the bottom of that you know league but it's it's cool does a show like that does a show like that help you settle any doubt that may creep in from time to time of being a emerging band if you will that dusko is uh, yeah, it does. It makes you go, do you know what? We are fucking good. We know what we're doing. Because the music business is so t- tough these days. It's so different, you know. There's not millions of dollars flying around, you know. We're not making fuckloads of money from this. You know, we're a working band. Um, so, yeah, it is like, you know what? Yeah, we're supporting the biggest, arguably the biggest rock band in the last 30 years. Uh, this is awesome. Yeah, we we are good. We know what we're doing. We deserve this. It does, you know, and it does help when you, you know, run into people who, you know, don't know what you do or are a bit dismissive when they ask what you do. And you're like, I'm a musician. They're like, oh, yeah. You know, can I come and see you down the road in the pub? And you're like, yeah, sure, maybe. Um, You know, I don't really do them a lot. Oh, yeah. When was your last gig? Well, Play with Guns N' Roses. Motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> you know. It gives yeah, validation but, to not yeah. just not just the band and, and who you are, but validation for yourselves, too. Oh, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's, it was, it's very validating. You work your fucking ass off. And, you know, also being in a band, sometimes you're playing in front of a couple of hundred people. Sometimes you're playing in front of 50,000. It's, it's, it's so just, you know, that's the thing about this business. It's like wherever you are, wherever you're playing, it all differs, you know. So it is validating to get on that big stage and be like, yeah, this is rocking. I think of that conversation I had with my son. You know, he's he's 18 now. But last year, I took him to see Iron Maiden. And, oh, yeah. You know, there was 20, 22,000 people. And the energy is just insane. You know, the, the mm. Iron Maiden crowd is just a life, you know, it, it's worth even watching that, you know, with, the, you know, instead of the band sometimes. And a week later, I took him to see Butch Walker at the House of Blues, which has 1,800 people. Yeah. So I took, because he plays guitar and he's trying to get a band together. And I said, you're going to learn tonight that it doesn't matter how many people you're playing in front of. It's all about the energy that you create. And the connection, you know, so you right. play. You, we saw Maiden last week, and they connected with all twenty thousand of those people. And the energy of uh, was off the charts. You're going to see Butch connect with eighteen hundred and have the same vibe and the same feel as they did mm. a week ago. And that's, that's what it's all about. It doesn't matter whether you're playing for fifty thousand or five hundred or two hundred or whatever. As long as you can create that energy, that's where it's at. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that is what it's about. That is what it's about, man. Totally. Couldn't agree more. What excites you most about playing these songs finally? You know, I mean, obviously you did the Guns N' Roses tour. You've got all this material now with this new album. It, you know, is it something that like, Hey, it's showing off what you guys have done. Is it integrating these songs into the body of work that you already have? I think it's, I think what the most exciting thing for me is being, we've now got three albums incorporating our whole back catalog into one show. That's the exciting part. Going, right, we've got, you know, we've got, you know, 40 songs, 45 songs to choose from now. And we can create this magic set with that's the exciting part, bringing the whole catalog together and being like, right. We're going to give these people a treat, you know. That's the exciting part. And working out how you make this big show, it's, it's great. That's the fun part. That gets me excited about going out on the road. There's also a, a newness to it, too, as well. I mean, 
when you are putting songs out live, even though you've recorded them, mm. it helps with that. Would a Don Henley, you know, say you have to have a high tolerance for repetition, you know, to play oh, live, yeah. playing a lot of you know the same stuff all the time to, to integrate new songs into a set is almost like giving the band new energy too, because you're not tired of them yet. You know what I mean? Well, it's interesting because like it gives new energy, but they also, they add as a ca- they counteract the old tracks. And actually you end up appreciating the old tracks more because you're like, wow, you know, especially songs off our debut album. It's like far out, man. Like that album came out in 2017, but I still love playing songs off our first album. And when you have that next to like a song off the new album, it's like, oh, wow, this is great because it still sounds like us, you know. It's all coming from the same space, which is cool. I I talk to a lot of artists about what they create. And I get sent a lot of music before it comes out. And they'll want to know like the reaction and that I have or what I feel about it. And it's basically because they they have that artistic self-doubt, right? Mm. You never, you, you, you record it. You think it's great. And then as you sit with it as an artist, you think, man, this isn't that good. It's not that good. (laughs) You know? And I I think every artist goes through that. Every artist, because you, you're really vulnerable when you're creating, you're creating something from scratch. This is something that you built on your own with the band and everything together. And then you record it and you're feeling it. And then you listen to it. Oh, this is the best thing we ever did. And then a week later, you're like, man, maybe we shouldn't have that song on that album. Maybe, maybe this you know, that doubt starts to creep in. First, do you have that self doubt that every artist goes through, and how do you overcome it? I have it in the writing. I have it when I'm kind of trying to make sure the songs are right. I have the self doubt there. And what gets rid of it is just working your ass off and making sure you, you're really, really, really confident with the song. Then I have it with vocals and singing. I always have this fear that I'm never going to be able to sing properly in the studio, and then I somehow manage to pull it off. And you, you know, do, you know, do you know how you get over the self-doubt? Just by fucking doing it. You just got to do it. You just got to go and do it. And then, you know, you finish the album and you self-doubt. Usually I'm, by the time we finish your record, I'm pretty confident. I'm like, nah, this is good. I'm happy with this. You know, this is a banging record. It's all the writing and the recording that's a bit self-doubt involved. Once that's done, I'm like, nah, we got something. Does the response of people and how they react to the music, is that separate from what you feel or does that go along with your confidence and in, in what you're doing is right. To a certain extent, I mean, you do, you know, you, you hope that you hope that, that you know the people are going to love it as much as you love it. And when they do, you're like, yeah, great. And when you get a lukewarm response from some, fortunately, we don't get lukewarm responses. Fortunately, you know, we've been lucky in the sense we've made three albums that have connected consistently, which is great. But, you know, there are some songs where you maybe the label you're thinking, oh man, they're gonna love this and the label's like, Yeah, that's not that's not that's not that's not that's not your best track on the album. You're like, What? You know, they have that occasionally. Um but then you realise everyone's different. No one has a crystal ball and no one really knows what's gonna connect. You know? And you just gotta put it out there and see what happens, you know. I think with Dust Coda and your music, it's easy to be passionate about you guys and the band mm. music because it is so good. And I always believe that whatever is good will be found and whatever is good will be listened to. It'll find an audience. And I think that's happening. I mean, I think when you look at the trajectory from your first album to now, it may mm. not be growing as fast as you want it. No one ever is satisfied with that, but it is growing. It is finding new people. It is finding new new audience, you know, wherever that may be. And I think 
when bands are in the music business today, we, you know, we touched a little bit on how difficult things are in the music business. I think that the definition of success is if you're, if you keep moving forward, if you keep growing and you're not in your wheels. And I think the dust coda with this album, with the last album and the the debut, I think if you look at kind of like the, the chart, it keeps going up with, growing your fan base and the quality of music. And I think that's, that's in my, in my opinion, that defines your success. Yeah. And I'm starting to feel that way. I'm starting to get more philosophical about it and just being like, you know what? We're making these great records and we're developing this fan base that are very, very dedicated and really, really loyal and, you know, love it. And, they're not fair weather fans. They're like really, really into what we do. So the more, even though we might be a bit of a slow burn as a band, the fans that we do get are just so into what we do, which is great. Amazing. John, this has been a great conversation as always. I do appreciate the time. We appreciate you talking and being as open as you are. Thank you again, my man. My pleasure, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. Absolutely. That is John Drake from the Dust Coda. Their new album, Loco Paradise, is out on all streaming platforms. Also, check out the show notes. There'll be a link to their website where you can get their merch. You can order their vinyl. You can order the album on the on the website. Go do that. It's important to support new music and new emerging bands. Once again, this is Jay Scott. This has been another episode of The Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And we will talk soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.